Welcome to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with Eva Medelik. If you're struggling to stay ahead of your daily life challenges, you will want to listen close as Eva and her guests will help you address the most important priorities first. Now, here's your host, Eva Medelik. Well, hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. I'm Eva Medelik, and welcome to today's show, the first show of 2023. My guest today, Caitlin Billings is a licensed clinical social worker in the state of California, and she specializes in trauma-focused therapy. Caitlin is here to talk about her book, In Our Blood. You know, she thought she could neatly walk away from her past after finding support in her adopted father and overcoming an eating disorder in college. Caitlin thought she had worked through her own pain enough to provide support for others. In her work as a mental health professional and role as a mother, she felt tremendous pressure to embody perfection and present stability. But a holdup at gunpoint broke her carefully balanced world apart. And suddenly she was trapped by frightening mental health issues while raising two young children. And just when she felt in control of her newfound bipolar disorder, her eldest child showed similar depressive symptoms. So welcome to the show today, Caitlin. I am really, really excited and interested to hear your story, your journey, and yeah, and the work that you do in the world now. So let everybody know a little bit about you, who you are, Caitlin, the person, before we go deep into what you do. Yeah, thank you, Eva, and Happy New Year, everybody. Um, so yeah, Caitlin, the person. Um, I think just like everyone in the world, I'm made up of lots of layers that I then get to later peel back to find new layers. <laughs> but I would say those layers are really built up of tapping into my creativity. My creativity is so important to me. It's something that I've I've I remember um, having from such a young age, um, you know, writing, playing pretend. I grew up in very Northern California amongst the Redwoods. Yeah, it's just, it's so many things, Eva. It's (laughs) such a question. But right now I'll say my creativity and my passion to walk beside others while they are going through their healing process, whatever that means for them. And so you have children, right? I do. How many and how old? So uh, my eldest is 20, turning 21 this year. You're like me. I'm like, how old am I? <laughs> I had to stop and think about that. Yeah. Right. And then my my younger child is 17. Oh, okay. So yeah. yeah, they're in that half, one foot in adulthood and the other foot still in and trying to figure it all out. So talk to us a little bit about um, basically what you do, like the problems you solve and and who you help in the world. Yeah. Um, Currently, what I do is I work with people who have a fair amount of risk happening in their lives. And what that could be is uh, perhaps um, risky behaviors like substance use or um just not being able to uh control 
you know, their behavior in general out in society. Um, maybe again, you mentioned eating disorders, maybe an eating disorder. And often um, what comes with um, a lot of, you know, su suicidal ideation or not wanting to be in the world. And over time, um, I've gravitated more and more and more into that niche um, as it relates to trauma. So these are folks who have this higher level of risk, impulsivity, um, thoughts of not wanting to be here. And generally, it's accompanied by a traumatic background in history. So when I was reading your your bio a bit, there was was some trauma there. But before we get into that, because I definitely want to give you an opportunity to share that so that it helps other people. How did you decide to do the work that you do initially? You know, I, I think a couple of things. One is that I grew up watching my mom um, be a person who is there for others. And she picked very interesting populations of people to support. Um, so for example, when I was in high school, she was an English teacher. She was an adult school teacher. And she chose to go into the local jail to teach um, the folks who were uh, incarcerated there at the time. And she would come home and tell these amazing stories about not only what it was like to, you know, teach them, but also their stories and what they were up against. Um, and I, I think I've, I came into the world with a certain innate sense of empathic longing, you know, wanting to connect with other people. I think that's part of how my creativity comes into play. Um, so it, over time, it just became a very natural idea for me that my path would be to support others express themselves in some way. And then as I experienced my own trauma and kind of growing into myself, I got in touch with it becoming even more fundamentally important to me to help people express their creativity during a time of great crisis. And I can talk more about what that means. Yes, please do expand on that. Yeah. So I really believe that part of... And I, I'll say healing from trauma because it's like kind of a buzzword. And a lot of us are talking about like, how do we heal? Um, and, but I say that with the caveat that some people don't feel like heal really is the word that they're looking for. That's maybe they don't feel like that's that's the outcome that they can achieve or that they want to to achieve ultimately. And so I'll say healing because I think that that makes sense to most of us, right? Is is getting to a place where we can function well in our lives and whatever has happened to us is well enough processed that it feels like, you know, a, a scar maybe that has healed over and and isn't painful anymore, right? Um so backing up a little bit, I I really believe that in order to heal particularly from trauma, it's fundamental for us to find what is the creative way that I can express myself, meaning how, how am I going to get my voice heard? How am I going to begin to paint again after two years? How am I going to begin to write again when I haven't done so since, you know, the, the latest trauma happened to me? Um, 
I used to I used to do West African dance and and I stopped and I want to get back to that. So part of my work, while of course people come to me and like I described, there's often a lot of impulsivity or high risk. One of the pieces that I hold so dear is helping people uncover like what is that expression that they've lost or that they're longing to bring back or forth into their lives. Because I do believe that without that, um, life isn't as magical. And maybe that's my own bias, but that's that's what I've found for myself um, as a person learning how to get along in the world and, and healing in my own way. Now, do most people that you um, help heal from the trauma is it that they've had a creative expression and they no longer desire to continue expressing themselves that way after the trauma or is finding a creative form of expression part of the healing if they didn't have one before exactly exactly and and creative expression can be so many things right it it could be um an activity of any kind that someone loves to do or a behavior a practice. Um, but yeah, it's really, it's really tapping into um, what, what I think a lot of us experience a, a sense of loss, you know, when we've gone through a trauma, there's, there's often a sense of flatness or a two dimensionality. And so what is the thing that like breathes life back into us? And it is, is it something that we can do in the therapy room as we are reprocessing the trauma, which ultimately most of my clients want to do. Um, they come to me saying, I want to reprocess this trauma. And so how are we doing that? What are we bringing into the room in order to do that? And that's where the creativity can really take off. Um, so I don't know if I'm really answering your question, but no, no, I I, I do hear what you're saying about um, having a form of expression to um, help process and heal the trauma. My curiosity lied in like I I automatically think well, and you cleared it up because I was like like I don't really do anything creative, but then it's like well yeah I do I I, I like to write I like to like express myself to writing and you know. What I'm doing here on the radio show is creative. Um, and so my thought was, is it to help people find a creative way to express themselves or is it to help them tap into something they already did creatively and um, the trauma actually uh, quelled, if you will, that desire to, you know, to dance or sing or play an instrument, you know, or paint or whatever. They just stopped all their creative expression because the trauma was so um, impactful in their lives. So that's what, where I was looking for clarity of because I don't yeah. really see myself as, as creative that way. I'm not a painter. I'm not a dancer. I'm not a singer. So it's like, yeah, what would that look like for, for yeah. someone who doesn't feel creative, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you're, yeah. you're embodying creativity right now. This is, right. this is of your creation. So right. it's, it's a very broad term. And yeah, I, I realize that. Talking. Yeah. Talking yeah. to you like, yeah, it could, it could be any, anything, if you will, like, 
for me, my favorite form of procrastination is to get on Canva <laughs> and design something for Facebook or Instagram. And, and that's where I get creative. Oh my God, the day I found out how I could remove the background of a photo, like I did a happy dance throughout the house yeah. and told my husband, cause he's a photographer. I'm like, he does that in Photoshop. I'm like, I'm as good as you now. <laughs> so yeah, I, I get it now. It just took a, took a while for it to, to, to sink in for me. So who would you say you are absolutely for, like if you had a niche, if you will, or if you know that this is the exact type of person that I could help. And, you know, on the flip side of that, you know, as a licensed um, clinical social worker, who would you say you are not for? Not that mm-hmm. you're not for them, rah, rah, but you're not the person, if you will, for them to, um, you're not the the best equipped or the one who specializes in helping that type of person. Yeah, such a great question. Um, I I think that it's so interesting that you ask me this because I've been thinking about this so much too, Mm -hmm. even since writing my book. And I also just started a group practice. So um, I think that really I am for young professionals who are looking to learn how they can walk authentically in the world without shame and without feeling the need to, as you described in the intro to my book, feeling the need to embody perfection. Um, so that's one, that's one group. And, and that's my work as a clinical supervisor and, and practice owner. The other is like I was describing before, um, and again, young folks, generally, young folks who are having immense risk in their lives for various reasons, but often uh, from trauma, um, childhood trauma or big traumas that happen later on in their lives. And, And the reason I say that is because who I'm not for is someone who's kind of just looking for a therapist who believes they know what they're doing and thinks that they can you know, be the benevolent um, brain in the room to to really help you help guide your way. Okay. Um, there are people who really want that and need that. Mm-hmm. That's not me. I'm awesome. I'm a little bit messy. I'm kind of awkward. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it just makes you cute and endearing. But I do have <laughs> one clarifying question. Okay. Yeah young when you say young clarify what mm-hmm. age group you're actually talking about when you say young people yeah i would say probably anybody under the age of 35 oh okay okay mm-hmm. yeah yeah those those years of really trying to figure out who am i what's what's my what's my path forward in this world I like to say, how how do I adult? My kids call it adulting. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be grown up yet. (laughs) Yeah. And it's been a struggle for, um, in my experience and what I've seen for a lot of young people to, to, to play adult, 
and to, and to play grown up and and to figure it all out because you know i'm i'm guilty of having millennial children and i think most of us who raised millennial children really did a lot for them and probably too much yeah and we created a bit of a monster to where adulting has been challenging for them and we yeah. feel it so awesome yeah. awesome so so we're clear you don't want any old people that look for that validating therapist. <laughs> and so, but that, but that helps because, you know, people who are listening, like I immediately went to, oh, you know, you would be treating my children if they were ideal um, patients for you, you know, to refer to. And people mm -hmm. may know somebody of a certain age group. Yeah, they they need help there. They could be at risk for, you know, um, self-sabotage, self-abuse, if you will, in some yeah. ways, because adulting can can feel hard or they've experienced maybe some childhood trauma that they may not have fully processed and healed from. So awesome. Yeah, so it's a good time for us to take a break. OK. All right, let's take a short break. And when we come back, I want to really um, talk to you about the decision that you made, you know, from what I read to help other mental health health professionals and um, what the catalyst was for you to write the book. So, so we'll be right back to talk about these things with Caitlin Billings. <laughs> stopping you from having more money, time, energy, and fun. Learn how to break through where you stop so that you can have greater success, better health, and happier relationships. Take this free quiz to identify what's stopping your success and learn exactly what you can do about it. www.evamedelec.com slash quiz. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Having higher levels of energy is something you choose and condition, not something you have. Exhaustion has been a challenge for over two years now. This is the year you can choose to change. Here are five things you can start doing today to reverse the burnout, stress, and overwhelm that is keeping you from living a life full of good health and happy relationships. www.evamedelec.com slash reverse burnout. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with host Eva Medelec. Have a question for Eva or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5795. That's 866-472-5795. Now back to the show. Here again is Eva Medelec. Welcome back, everyone. I am here with Caitlin Billings. And Caitlin, I want to talk to you a little bit about your book. The title of the book is In Our Blood. Mm -hmm. So tell us about the title. How did you come up with that title? And it's a memoir, right? It is a memoir. Um, yes. Okay. So I, um, I had like 
five different titles throughout the uh, entire time I was writing this memoir, which probably tells you something, which is that I'd never <laughs> written a memoir before. Um, but ultimately, there are themes of um, bloodlines in my book. Um, the cover of my book is actually um, two maple leaves, um, which represents uh, to me a tree. So this idea of we have a family tree in the book, I'm examining not only my um, what I see in terms of patterns with my eldest child, but my own um, where I come from um, and in terms of my uh, birth father and being a, a step parent adoptee. So, and then later on in the book, there are um, blood does come up in a different way that is more visceral and I think embodies the um, the pain that um, I explore in this book. So how did you come up with a decision to write a, a memoir? I mean, because first of all, you're not old and you can't see Caitlin, but you can see her picture on the show notes. Um, <laughs> she's not, she's not, you know, in her eighties writing her, her memoir, right? Um, what made you decide to write it? I think because in large part, um, the piece I was talking about earlier about perfectionism, um, I felt at such odds with my inner experience and the pressure I felt on the outside. Um, and I didn't know what else to do other than start literally telling the page my story. Um, so I couldn't. What was the inner experience and the pressure you felt on the outside? Yeah. Um, well, I think you you um, you mentioned the hold up at gunpoint, mm. uh, which occurs in the. Book. How old were you when that when that happened? I was thirty two. Okay. Yeah. Were you already a mom? Yes. Okay. Yes, um, I was, and I was um, I was alone at night um, chasing this dog that we had just adopted that ran out of our house. So I'm like, you know, so I, I was alone kind of in an adrenalized space and then encountered a person, um, you know, who was threatening to harm me. And that experience just kind of broke open um, like, uh, you know, you described in the beginning, a lot of my own pain and history that I thought had been, uh, you know, dealt with, <laughs> quote unquote, like packed away neatly with a bow on it so that I can go and become a really good therapist and help other people and not have to think about that stuff in the same way that I did back then, not have to be um, it, affected by it so as I was, you know, uh, when I was in college, for example. Um, now, to be clear, you're talking about the perfectionism. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. And so, so I came into my own as a young therapist. I had two um, young children, happily married. Um, this dog runs out of my house. I encounter a person who wants to cause me harm and everything just cracked open. And I 
just went on this downward spiral that ultimately ended up in psychiatric hospitalizations, um, very dark thoughts. Um, uh, yeah, it's like, so that inner experience of having gone through that and like literally holding that inside while going to work in like, you know, slacks and a, a jacket and heels, making sure I had a little bit of makeup on because I was managing a shelter. That was, those experiences were at such odds that the pressure to be perfect felt even greater. Okay. And yeah. Okay. So I, ju I just want to kind of make sure that I'm hearing you correctly and that everyone else is, mm -hmm. is as well. Um, when you did encounter someone who did you harm, it sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you continued to go to work after the incident and put on the the, the perfect outfit and appearance, mm -hmm. but you did not deal with what was going on internally from the trauma of that incident. Yes, exactly. At that time. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. So I'm clear now. And at one point, it sounds like you did, it. the pressure did build. It did. It did. Okay. Um, and, you know, I think most people who've experienced trauma or have post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms, mm -hmm. there is this phenomenon that can happen where the past trauma feels like you got a handle on it. Yeah, maybe some symptoms are still there, but you've done a lot of work on it. Pretty good. And then something else happens and boom, it's like everything comes right back up. And so whereas one day you were maybe a two in terms of symptomatic, an event happens and it it could be an event that would not cause trauma in another person because we're all different. But for whatever reason, you, the person who has dealt with your own trauma, comes up against something else that feels traumatic and suddenly you go from a two to a 10 mm -hmm. and all of your stuff is up again. Um, hey, Caitlin, this was a 10. This, this experience mm -hmm. was a 10. My curiosity lies in, uh, as a professional, as a healthcare professional in the capacity that you are, what was the thinking behind? Well, let me just ask to be clear. Yeah. Did you seek any therapy or help after the incident to be able to deal with it before I assume you didn't? <laughs> Were you able to, you know, did you, did you get some, some help in dealing with that traumatic event? Yeah. So I went to one therapy session, Eva. One okay character. okay yeah and that was that was hashtag handled it for you huh absolutely okay got it got it <laughs> yeah and get the four-year-old to preschool get the you know yeah. seven-year-old to second grade was there any deeper knowing in you with your experience as a professional in this area that one wasn't enough Yes, um, but there was a really loud, um, sure voice inside of me that said, 
you do this for a profession every day. You've got the training. Get it together. You know how to handle this. Okay. Which was kind at first and then became a really cruel voice um, over time. Okay. As, as I, as my symptoms got worse and worse. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like some judgment. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like some judgment. Interesting. Interesting. So I did want to, you know, thank you for indulging me and into going a little bit deeper and more curious because I, I was really curious about this. So how did your pressure what was the manifestation of the pressure building so high that you finally had to do something? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how, how detailed you want me to be. This is sensitive. It could be kind of triggering. I don't want it. I, I don't want it to trigger you, but oh, not let, me. Me, let me do it. Let me do it in, in months. How many months, years or whatever from the traumatic ex, uh, event to the point where you knew you needed, um, help on a deeper level because it just got that bad yeah um it was about 10 months okay and i knew it was bad enough because i was involuntarily hospitalized for my own safety okay yeah mm-hmm. and I, it's not triggering for me to talk about it at all and i just want to um really honor that someone who might be listening that could be triggering for them. And so just to please take care of yourself if you are mm-hmm. listening. Yeah, but as you said, you know, we don't know what is going to trigger someone, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, as you said, something that may be seemingly harmless for us could trigger someone else. And so with the range of audience that we have, there's there's no way of of being, you know, clear and specific of, of what about this conversation would trigger anybody. If anything, our, our intention to all of our listeners is to really give you uh, hope and let people know that they are not alone and that they're, that this happens to the best of us and the worst of us and everybody in between, because at the end of the day, we are all human beings and we all have stuff and sometimes that stuff is heavier for us than it is at other times and the the point is you know when do we get help and there is help out there you know some of us don't have to wait until until it's an involuntary right and we can actually recognize some of the signs to to intercept and speaking of recognizing signs let me ask you was there any um, in hindsight, signs that maybe you or your family may have noticed that um, could have sparked uh, an earlier intervention, if you will, or did nobody realize it? Well, there's there's this certain legacy in, in my family on my mom's side of stoicism. Okay. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I don't know if, if that's a familiar. Yes, very, you. very familiar. <laughs> um, so I really minimized my internal experience. Um, I had flashbacks pretty frequently of um, um, of men trying to harm me. And I would lie in bed really late at night 
and think that I heard the beginning of a home invasion many times. Um, yeah, though that those were the the what I can remember of it. Um, and then there was just sort of a general, as I said, like slow downward spiral, like kind of unraveling of my sense of self and my safety, even within myself. Mm-hmm. And about 10 months into, um, you know, after this had happened, I, um, I went to my doctor because now I was breaking down at work in the bathroom, hiding from other people. And I went to my doctor and I said, I don't know if I can handle this anymore. I don't know what to do. And so she um, prescribed me an antidepressant, which for many people can be helpful to kind of get them out of that crisis place. And um, unfortunately for me, it had the opposite effect and made things worse. Mm. So, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that that happened, but I've heard of people being prescribed medicine that actually made those ideations and and, and things worse. I actually have Mm -hmm. a somewhat personal experience with that with uh, an acquaintance and colleague of mine. Mm -hmm. So what is the message that you're sending with this book? I think the very fundamental message of this book is you are not alone. And another message that I hope to send is that vulnerability will breed your authenticity, which will bring you closer to who you are and who you want to be. In spite of us feeling the very opposite that to be vulnerable is scary and to be authentic, you know, who's going to do that. Um, but in, in my experience, I found um, through writing this book, I, I have felt really released of a lot of the shame and perfectionism and stigma. Um, I've, I have found that I'm really moving on in my life in new ways that I really didn't I didn't anticipate um and something you know we talk about a lot in as therapists is radical acceptance and that's another message is is that i encourage folks to have radical acceptance of wherever they are at in their life if i had been able to radically accept that i was traumatized um i would have gone to therapy i would have said ah (laughs) i'm gonna stop fighting reality and i'm gonna Go get some help. Do you feel that as a healthcare professional, that that you know, in addition to your family history of stoicism, but as a healthcare professional, a mental health professional, I would say um, that it contributed to the I should have this, I should be able to handle this because I am a professional you know, on top of that layer of the family history of stoicism? For sure. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Now, what has your, the the feedback been from other professionals uh, with what you've shared in the book? 
Yeah, that's such a great question. Overwhelmingly positive. Uh, and it was it was really scary uh, to do this. As much as I knew I had to do it, there was no question. Like I had to do it, mm-hmm. um, it you know, within me. It was really frightening. Um, and overall, yeah, I, I, I've had people tell me that you know, they bought my book for their mother who had similar, you know, themes in in her life. And she told them that reading my book changed her life. Um, just little snippets. I've, I supervised someone who happened to decide to read my book after we talked about it, right? Like, how's this going to be for you? I'm your supervisor. And um, she would tell me, like, sometimes it's like I'm reading about myself as a young professional. Um, and I felt, I thought that I was the only one who felt this way. That's what I wanted to ask you. Did that surprise you hearing people really connect and recognize parts of themselves in your story? I think it did a little bit. I mean, I know that the more we can deeply get in touch with the details of our story, the more it can become universal to, mm. you know, speak to the universal experience Got and it. the universal experience that I thread throughout my book is about radical self-acceptance, that that was the only way I could survive the last decade of my life. Um, Got it. Got it. Yeah. Let's take a little break, Caitlin. Take a breath. Okay. Uh, we, we talked about some heavy stuff in this last yeah. segment. Let's give everybody a chance to breathe. And when we come back, we can discuss perfectionism on a little deeper level and, and how dangerous that can be. So we'll be right back. Having higher levels of energy is something you choose and condition, not something you have. Exhaustion has been a challenge for over two years now. This is the year you can choose to change. Here are five things you can start doing today to reverse the burnout, stress, and overwhelm that is keeping you from living a life full of good health and happy relationships. www.evamedelec.com slash reverse burnout. If you're an influencer, you don't follow the trends, you set them. Voice America influencers are involved in creating change in personal and professional lives, collaborating and driving value to make our lives better. We have world-renowned thought leaders, speakers, authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and some of the most influential voices today. Listen in today to what they have to say. Engage in the conversation. The Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Answer the call. What's stopping you from having more money, time, energy, and fun? Learn how to break through where you stop so that you can have greater success, better health, and happier relationships. Take this free quiz to identify what's stopping your success and learn exactly what you can do about it. www.evamedelec.com slash quiz. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with host Eva Medelec. 
Have a question for Eva or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5795. That's 866-472-5795. Now back to the show. Here again is Eva Medelec. We are back with Caitlin Billings, the author of a memoir that is breaking the stigma around mental health professionals' own mental health. And so I want to really ask you, what is the stigma around mental health? I hear people talk about the stigma, the stigma, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I'm just really curious, what is it? Because it seems that there is shame and embarrassment around acknowledging that you're challenged, you have some mental health challenges. Why is that? Yeah. Well, I think it, um, you know, we can talk about it in really broad terms. And then there are stigmas within communities, um, within um, family systems, within cultures. Um, So generally, my experience of stigma is that um, I think I, I come off as young, as you said, I don't necessarily look my age. So I'm kind of this young professional looking person um, who I think society often has an expectation that I won't have a mental health problem. Or if I do, because it is becoming more accepted, you know, to to take an antidepressant or have anxiety, more and more um, people are coming out and talking about their experiences with that. So it's almost like the the stigma is no longer that I might have something going on, but it's that, am I able to show up and do life in the way that I'm expected to? Meaning pretty perfectly or not. And that's the stigma. If I have to go on disability, you know, for two months because I can't get off the couch, there's a stigma there. As much as as we don't want to admit that, even in even in um, mental health professional circles, there can be stigma, which is so bananas because <laughs> this yeah, is what I, we do, right? Yeah, I mean, you expect. I think that's throughout all the health healthcare professions. You expect your dentist not to have rotten teeth, and you know you expect. I remember a foot doctor I had when I was young and it was like, he was wearing orthopedic shoes. I'm like, oh, that confused me. I mean, we do have a standard of perfectionism, if you will, for, you know, why does our eye doctor wear glasses? Well, because, you know, it's it's just weird how society is and and the thoughts around that. And we, we talked about perfectionism a lot and a lot of us, suffer from perfectionism i personally think if i were president (laughs) here she goes that perfectionism should be a disease because it really ruins a lot of people and destroys their mental health so they're you know it's it's the cause of people having high expectations and their reactions to the disappointment of not living up to those expectations. We're hard on ourselves. We become hard on other people. It breeds judgment. It just can spiral off into so many things. And, you know, 
what I wanted to really talk to you about in this segment is how is perfectionism damaging our mental health and how can we break that stigma of the high expectations of perfectionism? Because I know I suffer from it and I think everybody suffers from it a, a little bit. It's like having the chickenpox virus in your in your bloodstream, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, I think one of the first ways is that we're talking about it. We're naming it. And, 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 and I, so that's step one, right? Acknowledge, <laughs> acknowledge yes. the disease of perfectionism. And step two is acknowledge that, yes, I too suffer <laughs> from this <laughs> disease because part of being perfect means that I don't have that problem. Or I've conquered right? it. Or I've conquered it. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Because you you hear a lot of people call themselves recovering perfectionists. Right. Kind of in that same, I'm a recover, you know, I'm in recovery from alcoholism or from drug abuse and per- perfectionism. And, and, and it is a problem. You know, I think one of the, the first, um, one of my earlier shows talked about how perf- perfectionism can be a poison in the professional space. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also, you know, you mentioned you have uh, millennial kids and Mm -hmm. I have Gen Z kids Mm -hmm. and Gen Z kids are doing amazing work around dismantling stigma, which is why I love working with that age group. Love it. And, And it is probably because I have kids in that age group too, but I just so appreciate that my Gen Z clients, they come to therapy and they're ready. They're ready to work. They know what's happening. They've done plenty of TikTok research. <laughs> I love that. That's the best line of the whole show. But, the TikTok. But they do show I used to, I used to go to Dr. Google all the time. I should go yeah. to Dr. TikTok now, I guess. <laughs> That'd be cool. <laughs> right, right. But it it is like there's Yes, obviously, TikTok is not, you know, where we want to go for, for our, um, whatever. <laughs> for our health needs. <laughs> health needs, yes. Health and well-being. And it's, it's like all of these conversations are happening all the time of like, let's dismantle this. Let's dismantle that. And I, I don't want to get too deep into this, but the other, the other piece that I think about a lot lately that has to do with perfectionism is colonialism and what how was our country founded upon what was it founded upon who was it founded and what were the perfectionistic standards set from that moment on and how are we still playing them out each of us in our own way to me thinking about it in that way makes me want to push back, talk about it, and break down the stigma even more. So in what ways uh, is the Gen, Gen Z, they are, right? Yeah, right? Yeah, it's Gen Z, right? Gen Z, yeah. Yeah, because my husband is Gen X, and I'm a boomer, you know. Those those <laughs> those, those um, definitions kind of change a little bit slightly, but, yeah. Um, you know, I just know from what I see with a lot of people, uh, young people who are successful professionals at that age group, taking time off for their mental health, recognizing when they're they're overwhelmed and when they're burned out and what it could lead to because 
the history from my generation and a generation or two after that, we actually um, used more drugs and alcohol Mm -hmm. to, to deal with the pressures of whatever success or business we were in. And a lot of famous people lost their lives because of it, whether it was um, dying by suicide or accidentally dying by suicide, purposely or accidentally. And so I love when I hear people saying, look, the money doesn't matter. I need to step back. I need to take care of myself. I don't want to go down this path. And um, I don't know why, why are they so much smarter than my generation and, and, and Gen Xers. <laughs> what is it about them? You know, well, I they most of them were born either during or right after 9-11, just to give you the context of how they came into the world, at least in our country. And that really, I think, has shaped their worldview, which I'm Gen X too, and that my worldview was really different in terms of like what was happening politically around me. Um, so they came into this world that was at war, basically. Um, and I think they're really trying to make sense of it, understand it. And then they lived through COVID as either, you know, high, junior high, high school or college students. And they they survived that in in ways that we might not have been able to survive that because they have new tools and they're so innovative and you know they're questioning reality all the time and this and that. Um, so I think I think though the reason Gen Z young adults are drawn to me and me to them is because they're they're kind of scared. Like they are dismantling everything and looking at it and really taking stock. And they're scared because the world is a crazy place. Um, It is. And then when you've got trauma on top of that, you need somebody to walk beside you and say like, I'm here. You're not alone. Maybe you're becoming a young therapist. You're not alone. You know, maybe you're becoming a young author. You're not alone. Um, Being that person who, you know, has lived it too, but in a different way. Well, we can certainly learn a lot from this generation. And when they say enough and they need a break and they, they back off, you know, on the flip side, you also see quite a few of them choosing to die by suicide because it's been overwhelming and too much and maybe they don't have the tools or the access to the tools to get to to get support so um that's been heartbreaking too because you do see a lot of that as well um more and more it's at least more reported on i don't know if the statistics are higher or if we're just learning more about it now but um you know as we start to to wrap down this amazing hour it's just been such a pleasure talking with you caitlin um and I want to ask you what matters most to you. <laughs> right now, I would say human connection matters most to me with authentic, the beginning of that authentic human connection. And how can folks get in touch with you and 
get their hot little hands on on your book because you know we all have people in our lives i think that could benefit from really knowing that they're not alone and and having resources that and tools that'll help them and and someone who can help them their kids or wherever they're at in life mm-hmm. because unfortunately you know a lot of people are are not getting the help they need and they're putting on this brave face of perfectionism if you will and that everything's okay and it's not how can they get in touch with you and and your book yeah um so in my author self kind of weird i have two websites but <laughs> congratulations <an> website <laughs> and that website is caitlinbillings.com just my name.com um you can find out more about me uh, in terms of my creative side, my author side, you can read my prologue for free. Um, and you can purchase the book from me, which would be awesome. Um, so there's that way. And then if you wanted to contact me for any other reason, uh, I also have a website um, called Sauna Therapy Collective. And again, that's one word, sanatherapycollective.com, S-A-N-A therapy collective and it is my group practice of um six amazing therapists who have come together with me um to provide the same kind of authentic trauma-focused healing on your own terms work awesome thank you caitlin thank you for the work that you do thank you for sharing all of your knowledge with us and um i want to give a thanks to our listeners for choosing to listen to the show today. I'm I'm really grateful to have you tune in and hopefully you're finding something that will help you in creating um, uh, what's important now for you and what matters most to you and getting clear on what that is. And I hope you'll find the time to join us again next week. So as usual, I wanna leave you with a quote. This one is from Rose Fitzgerald Kennedy. It has been said, time heals all wounds. I do not agree. The wounds remain. In time, the mind, protecting its sanity, covers them with scar tissue and the pain lessens, but it's never gone. So until next time, everyone, bye for now. Thanks for listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with Eva Medelec. We hope we've been able to inspire you with today's show to take control of your own life and focus on the win. What's important now? Until we talk again, have a beautiful week.